Thank you so very much. If you have your Bibles this morning, I'd love for you to join me in 1 Corinthians chapter number 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're our guest today, I want to encourage you just in knowing that uh, we've been going through this wonderful letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Uh, it is a fascinating letter. As a matter of fact, when you look and uh, do an overview of this letter, what you see is that the whole letter that's written to the church at Corinth deals with one topic, and that is the topic of commitment. What Paul is saying from chapter 1 all the way to the very end, he says you need to be more committed to Jesus Christ more than anything. And then what he does is, Paul, you can see that he takes certain sections and he deals with particular uh, difficulties that the church is having. Now, what's fascinating is to know where Paul is. Paul, when he wrote this letter, was at Ephesus. And so what happened was, according to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, around verse 11, it seems that a delegation from Chloe's house went to Ephesus to see Paul. And as they went to Ephesus to see Paul, they reported some things that were going on in the church. We see that Paul deals with those things in the first six chapters of the book of 1 Corinthians. And then we see in chapter 7 all the way to the end, it seems that something else had happened, and that was just simply this. The church at Corinth had wrote a letter to Paul saying, we're having some difficulties in these particular areas of the church. And so in chapter 7, all the way to the end of the, of the chapter, all the way to the end of the book, or the letter, we find Paul dealing with those particular instances. Now, so far in our study, we've already talked about how Paul said we need to be more committed to thankfulness. We need to be a thankful people. When God sees believers, when we see Christians, in light of the wicked world that we're living in, we ought to be thankful. And by the way, we've got some things to be thankful about, don't we? We have got the Bible to be thankful about. We've got Jesus to be thankful uh, about. We've got uh, uh, this church to be thankful for. I mean, we really have a lot to be thankful for. And Paul just says, look, I'm thankful for you, church. And might I say, as your pastor, I can agree with that. I am thankful for Maysville Baptist Church. He says we need to be more committed to thankfulness. And then he goes on and he talks about this issue of unity. He says we need to be more committed to unity. As a church, we need to be rowing together. We need to be serving together. We need to be stewards of God together. And so he just encourages the church in light of being together in the area of unity. And then we spent the last three weeks talking about servanthood. He says we need to be more committed to being servants. I'll be honest with you, in the day in which we live in today, you and I need to be in, in, in the realm of servanthood more committed to God than anything else. I want to thank God for our Sunday school teachers, how committed that they are. What a wonderful turnout we had last week for your training. And I hope today and this week and the end of this year and as we go into a new year, we'll watch our Sunday school continue to grow as God is blessing and doing great and mighty and wonderful works. But right here in chapter 5, things begin to shift. Paul is done talking about servanthood. And now he's going to talk about morality. In particular, morality in the church. And what Paul is going to say is that the church at Corinth needs to be more committed to being morally pure and morally biblical in the church. As a matter of fact, he's got some very pointed things to say in the, about the church at Corinth. So if you found your place in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to pick up in verse number 1. We're going to read all the way down to verse number 13. 
And then if the Lord will and as the Lord will, I'm going to preach a message entitled, Judging Immoral Believers. Would you please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word? Notice what the text says. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Now that word fornication is where we get our English word pornography. He's saying that there is some really illicit sexual behavior that's taking place within the church. And he says it's, this is reported commonly. I'm hearing it more than just from Chloe and Chloe's house. I'm hearing it from all around. He says this, As such fornication is not so much named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned, that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but in present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together in my, in my spirit and my spirit with the power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit might be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little, little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with fornicators of this world, nor with the covetous or extortioners or idolaters. For then ye must needs go out of the world. But now I have written unto you, not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner. With such a one not know not to even eat with. For what uh, have I do to judge them that are also without? That is outside the church. Do not ye judge them that are within, but them that are without, God's judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. You may be seated this morning. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of His Word. When you read this passage of Scripture, you walk away from it, and there is no doubt that it is very clear as to what Paul is talking about here in this text. You can also walk away from this text and say, you know what, I don't think I've ever heard a message on this passage of Scripture. You know the reason why? A lot of times this passage is ignored. You'd be surprised if you'd look in commentaries and other pastoral sermons that uh, there's a lot of pastors, a lot of teachers, they just don't want to deal with this topic in this text. Why? Well, that, there's another reason, because it creates a tremendous amount of controversy. This is a controversial passage of Scripture. It's controversial in particular in the West, here in America, because of our culture. Our culture is misguided when it comes to biblical knowledge. We think that as Christians that we can't judge anybody on anything. As a matter of fact, we use that passage of Scripture over in Matthew chapter 7 to reference that. The Bible says there from Jesus' own lips, Judge not lest you be judged. But what we fail to do is we fail to put that passage of Scripture in context... And we fail to read the rest of the verse. 
the Scripture says this, Judge not uh, that ye be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you shall be judged, and with what measure that you meet out of that judgment, that is the measure that will come against you. You see, it's not that we cannot judge, dear friend. It's that when we do judge, we are to judge from a position of restoration. I'd bid it to say that everybody today has already made judgments. You already judged whether or not your breakfast was good or bad. How many of you had a good breakfast this morning? Raise your hand real high. All right, put it down. How many's breakfast wasn't worth a flip? Just raise your hand up real high. I see that hand. I see that hand. See, you made a judgment already. You made that judgment. So it's not that we are not supposed to judge. You, you, we judge every day. Uh, my stars, I was watching the Braves game last night. You can't be an umpire and not judge. Call them like you see them. Balls and strikes. Uh, judge. We're always judging something. Just remember this. When it comes in the arena of the church, the judgment by which we judge by, that is the judgment that will be meted out to us or measured upon us as a church. Therefore, it should always be our goal when we judge to judge from a position of restoration. We want to see a brother or a sister restored. Now, one of the things you'll notice here in this text that he doesn't speak about the woman. Did you ever notice that? When you read this text, it doesn't say anything about the woman. Why? Well, it's very important to understand that this woman is probably lost. She does not know Jesus Christ as her personal Savior and Lord. But we do find that this man does. This is a brother. This is a carnal believer. This is somebody who has trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, is an active member of the church, and the church is allowing this destructive behavior in this man to continue on without any judgment. Paul is not happy with it. He says we need to be moving to a point of holiness to God. And if we're, if we're ever not going to be like the world, then we've got to be different than the world. We've got to think different than the world. We've got to act different than the world. The Holy Spirit that dwells inside believers as born again, children of God, we flesh out the truths of the Word of God. So what do we have here in this text? I want you to notice how Paul judges an immoral believer in the church and how he loves him back to restoration. Let me show it to you. Number one, the first thing I want you to see is I want you to notice that the judgment is announced. The judgment is announced. In the first five verses of this passage of Scripture, Paul announces that judgment must come to the house of God. And it must come to a church member who is involved in sexual immorality within the church. It is important to know that Paul is responding to a discussion that he has had with a member from Chloe's house as well as people in Ephesus. They're walking up to Paul and saying something like this. Did you hear about what's happening in Corinth? Hey, in Corinth your church? Didn't you start the church uh, there in Corinth? Did you hear what's happening over there? Now remember, Corinth is the Las Vegas of that area. I mean, it's absolutely crazy what's going on there. And Paul established this church and stayed 18 months there to instruct them and get them ready to serve the Lord and make disciples. And so Paul, in response to what's going on here at the church at Corinth, we see he does a couple of things. Number one, the first thing I want you to notice here is I want you to notice a shocking report. A shocking report. Verse 1 and 2, Paul is shocked 
by the report that he hears. Let's look at the text. Notice what the Bible says. Please mark up in your Bibles. He says, It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. Here is a shocking report. Paul cannot believe what's come to him is that there's an individual in the church of Corinth that has taken his father's wife. Now, this is not his mom. This is a stepmother, if you will. Nonetheless, what we're finding here in the text, we find that there was a divorce that has obviously occurred, and now this man, this Christian man, is dating his father's wife with the intent of marriage. He's busted up this home. Now, I want you to get the big picture here. Don't miss this. Listen to me very carefully. It is so important to understand that struggling with sin is not the problem in this text. That's not the problem. Let me give you another thing. It's very important when you look at this text to understand that falling into sin is not the problem. Now, is that a problem? Yes. But falling into the sin is not what he's dealing with. What is he dealing with then? Here's the problem. The problem is defending your sin. He was defending his sin. He said, there ain't nothing wrong with this. We all just need to be happy. Happy, happy, happy. Look at that person beside you and ask him, are you happy? Look at that person beside, on the other side and say, yes. Uh-uh. Happy. He says, I want to be happy. And he, so he's defending his sin in the church. The church was defending uh, their sin. Look at what the Bible says in verse 1 again. He says that this type of fornication, as is not so much named among the Gentiles. You know what he's saying there in the text? He's saying our pagan neighbors around the church, they don't even practice this sin, much less tolerate it. As a matter of fact, look look at what the Bible says in verse 2. He says there in the text, And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned. If you have your pens, I would underline that word have. That word have there is in the present tense. What he's saying there in the text is that today you need to condone this. You do not need to, uh, excuse me, you need to condemn it. You don't need to condone it. You don't need to wrap your arms around it and say everything is okay. No, everything is not okay. This guy is not right before God. He's busting up homes. And so we find here that this shocking report that comes to Paul, he says it's not even practiced among lost people. Y'all are doing things lost. No wonder nobody wants to come to your church. No wonder the church is declining. No wonder nobody's getting saved. You're tolerating sin. Look at what he says there in verse number 2. He says you're puffed up. We know that to be pride. He's already dealt with pride uh, already one time before. He says you have become so prideful that this word pride carries an air of arrogance. You have become arrogant. You're filled up with pride, if you will. Nothing seems to be able to break through to you. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. It'll keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. And so he's struggling with this. And we know that what one generation does in moderation, the next will do in excess. That's why here at Maysville Baptist Church, we have got to stay biblically Pure, so we can raise a generation that loves God and that will do what Paul says and mourn over sin. Do you see it there in the text? He said, I would rather you'd mourn. You don't even mourn over sin anymore. There's no shame at all anywhere in the church. 
a church that does not mourn over sin, especially sin with its own, uh, in its, within its own fellowship, is on the verge of spiritual disaster. When we cannot be shocked by sin, and when we, when we say, I'm not shocked over sin anymore, I'm not willing to mourn and weep over sin anymore, then we have lost the strongest defense that we have against it, and sooner or later, we'll fall for that same sin. I've been in ministry now for 21, over 21 years. I've seen, I've seen it all. Man, it's been incredible, some of the things I've seen. Let me give you two illustrations. I got two illustrations. One, one man, both of them have to deal with a man cheating on his wife. The first comes to me and the wife in tears weeping and saying, my husband's cheating on me, he's seeing another woman. And uh, so calls a meeting, we bring him in. She brings in, no kidding, a stack of emails this tall of communications between him and his lover. I ask him a simple question. I say, is this your email? He says, yes. I, I said, did, did you write these letters? He said, no. I said, but this is your email. Yes. Uh, do people do you receive emails on this? He said, every day. Do you send emails out? Every day. But these are not your emails? No. Well, who, whose email are they? I don't know. Do you think somebody's got your password? No. Do you think somebody's writing these letters trying to set you up and frame you? No. But these aren't your emails? No. What's he saying? He's full of himself. He's so full of pride that he can't even see his own sin. You got another man. He picks up the phone. He calls me. I can barely understand what he's saying on the other end of the phone. He's weeping and crying to such a capacity that he's got the convulsions. Pastor, Pastor, can you, can you, please, can you please come see me? Can you come see me right now? I said, where are you at? He said, in town. I said, I can meet you wherever you're at. He said, meet me at Chick-fil-A. Now listen, everybody knows that Christians go to Chick-fil-A. Can I get a witness? That's the gospel bird. Thank God for Chick-fil-A. Every Christian in the town was at Chick-fil-A on this particular day. I'm standing there at the door and I'm talking to people. I'm saying hi. And I, bless God, you'd have thought that I worked there. Come on in. Come on. Have a seat. Bless God. Come on in here. Come on. Yeah, but can I get you some sweet tea? Anyways, here come this brother. Member of the church. Walking in. Tears. Big crocodile tears. Streaming down his face. His, J.R., his face was beet red. Weeping and crying. And, he, and he's ten times taller than I am. I mean, he's a big fella. And he comes in and he didn't care who was watching him. He didn't care who was looking at him. He didn't care who saw him. He threw himself on me and said, I've sinned. I've sinned against God. Will you help me get right with God? What's the difference between those two stories? I'll tell you. One man was prideful, and the other was humble. What happened to the prideful man's marriage? He lost it. It was gone. What happened to the humble man's marriage? They were alive and well today, and celebrating the goodness and forgiveness of God and the forgiveness of one another. This man mourned over what happened. And it's like, I'm going to tell you what, do we want to see a great revival at Maysville? I'll tell you what we need to do. We need to mourn over sin. We should crawl up in the altar and mourn over the shocking report that this world is going to hell because of lostness and see people come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. It's a shocking report. Number two, not only do we see a shocking report, but we also see a sharp response. 
a sharp response. In verses 3, 4, and 5, Paul gives a very sharp response to the report that he is hearing. Notice what they are. Number one, the first one he does, the first thing he says is stop delaying judgment. Look at what he says in verse 3. Notice the text. For I verily, as absent in the body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that is done, that hath done so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You see what Paul's saying there? Paul is saying, you've got to stop delaying the judgment on this brother. You've got to stop. You're holding back. He says, I've already judged him. I've already done this. So therefore, you must stop this uh, area of judgment. Stop delaying your judgment of this brother. He says, I have already, if you will, judged this person. That word judgment there means to pronounce a displeasure concerning wrong. It's in the perfect tense, uh, which gives us this idea that it happened in the past, but it's carrying on into the future. It's in the active voice, meaning that Paul is the one that did the judging. Uh, He didn't have to get up a council together and say, well, let's vote on this, whether or not we ought to judge this guy. No, he says, this guy's already broken the law of God. In breaking the law of God, he's taken his father's wife. He's committed fornication. He's so sexually active that he can't even control himself. And so Paul says, I have already judged him. I judged him when I heard this, and I'm judging him today. I'm not happy with it. There's a disapproval concerning this, and we can't just let it lie. It's in the indicative mood, though, we find. uh, That word judge in the indicative mood means it's just a simple statement of fact. And so in verse number 4, what he's saying there in the text is he says, you've got to stop delaying your judgment, and you've got to stop now. Don't let another day go by without doing something about this. Number 2, let's look at what he says. He says, not only do we need to stop delaying our judgment, we ought to start delivering him over. Look at verse 5. He says, to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the Spirit may be saved in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, don't miss this. He says, we got to start delivering this guy over. That word deliver there means to hand him over to the world and let Satan have his way with him. Remember, who is the prince of the power of this world? The devil. He says, you let him go. If he wants to live like the world, you let him live like the world. You let this man go. Paul is very well acquainted with this type of philosophy and this type of biblical teaching. What do you mean? Well, remember when he wrote to young Timothy over in 1 Timothy? 1 Timothy uh, chapter number 1 in verse number 20, he talks about two individuals, one by the name of Hymenius and the other by Alexander. These two brothers blasphemed the name of God. They blasphemed it. And Paul wasn't going to have anything to do with it. They were pastors teaching and preaching a false gospel. And Paul said, I have already sent them out to the world. I let the devil have his way with them. Now remember, what's the goal here? He's not being mean. The goal is restoration. What Paul is thinking about in his mind is you let them go out there into the world. And if they're truly born again... If they're a true, born-again child of God, it won't take long, they'll come back to Jesus. Why? Because they'll know that they're disobeying the Lord. 
He says, I want you to do this. Notice what he says there in verse 5. For the destruction of the flesh. That is simply this. Let sin take its toll on that carnal Christian. Now, again, this is nothing new. This isn't new. This is in the Bible. What do you mean? David. Remember David? When you think about David and you think about David's sin... Uh, You can look at Psalm chapter 38. I don't have time to turn there, but I would mark that in your Bibles and look at it sometime this week. David in Psalm 38 talks about what sin did to his body. It took a toil on his body. And remember, David came back to the Lord. He was a man after God's own heart. So we find here in this text that what Paul is speaking of is even practiced in the Old Testament. Let him go. Let him go out there for the destruction of the flesh. Let sin take its toll. And if he's truly born again, he will come back into the house of God. Get right with God. Get right with fellow believers. And there'll be glory given to God. That's what he says there. Notice, oh, look, we can't pass this up. Notice what he says in verse number 5. He says that the Spirit may be saved. That the Spirit may be saved. What's he saying there? He's saying, if this brother, if he is truly born again, and he continues to live in his carnality, his flesh will die, but he'll go to heaven. You talk about eternal security. Right there it is, J.R. There's eternal security in this text. Look at it. Let's look at it. Look what he says. To deliver such a one to Satan, that is, deliver him into this world where sin can take its toll in his body, for the destruction of the flesh, that is, let the the sins affect his flesh like they did David, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's eternal security. I'm here to tell you, the Bible says, and it's over in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 16. A lot of times you hear me talk about 1 John 5, 13, about knowing. The Bible says you can know that you have eternal life. And in knowing that you have eternal life, you know that God hears you. And you know that God will hear our prayers and answer in accordance to His will. And in knowing that to be true, He goes on to say in 1 John chapter 5, if a brother is in sin, you need to go to that brother and love him enough to tell him he needs to get right with God. Because if you don't, He says, there is a sickness, a sin unto death. What does that mean? It just means God says, you know what? I have called you, I have called you. There have been invitation after invitation for you to come. I have been calling you to come and get right with God. I've been calling you to get right with me and get right with other believers. But your own stubbornness has produced such a callous heart inside of you. You are worth more to me in heaven than you are on earth. So you come on home. Come on home. That's what he says in the text. We find here in this passage... The judgment is announced. Let me very quickly show you two more things because I'm running out of time. It goes by fast, doesn't it? Here's a second one, number two. The judgment explained. In verses 6, 7, and 8, Paul uses these three verses to explain why this discipline is so very important. Notice what Paul says here. Number one, the first thing he talks about is sin's infection. Sin's infection. John Grady, many of you know, he's my 11-year-old. He just had surgery. He had a ranula under his tongue. A ranula is a swollen saliva gland that gets blocked up and it swells up under the tongue. 
It was so big. I mean, that thing was huge. And because of that infection, it affected his breathing. It affected his sleeping. It affected his... And when you can't sleep, bless God, you're in a bad mood. Can I get a witness right there? You ever had an 11-year-old in a bad mood? You in a bad mood? And all these complications. Why? Because of one infection. So he had to have surgery to remove it. And once he removed it, the boy could breathe again. He could rest again. He got the sleep that he needs. His daddy can wake him up in the mornings. And bless God, he's not so grumpy, David. I'm telling you what, thanks be unto God that he got that ranula removed. But the problem in his life was the infection that was under his tongue. The Bible says in verse number 6, look at what the Scripture says. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little, little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. He simply says here that sin impacts the whole church body. It's impacting everybody. He uses this word leaven. The word leaven is used in the New Testament five times, on five different occasions. Every time it talks about and is a picture of sin. The point is, sin impacts the whole body. Notice what he says, number two. Not only does he, do we see sin's infection, but I want you to see sin's ejection. Notice what he says in verse 7. He says, Purge out therefore the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover is sacrificed for us. He says that you need to purge it out. You need to get rid of it. He uses the illustration of this issue of leaven in bread. He says, look, the leaven is this. You put a little leaven in there and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. And that is a representation of sin in the body of Christ. When you don't deal with sin, it grows and grows and grows and grows. And a failure to purge sin is ignoring the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's what he says there in the text. He says, Jesus there, uh, if you would, Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. He was unleavened, got our leaven upon him, died for our sins, was buried, and praise God, is living again. So he says there in verse number 8, because of this, or therefore, let us keep the feast. He's, we ought to keep participating in Passover, he says. Tonight, we're going to be having the Lord's Supper. I've already given you an invitation. There's going to be unleavened bread on the table. We're going to be seeing this beautiful picture of how that Jesus Christ was that unleavened. And now, because we're born again, because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, now you and I, all of us here today, are the unleavened bread of this world. We shouldn't be old puffed up, big old puffed up bread. We ought to be flat bread. That's beautiful. That's simple. That is unraised. That's not puffed up. We're not big because we're mazel. We're big because Jesus is saving people. The judgment explained. I got to hurry. I got one more point. We just ain't listening fast enough today. I'm just going to tell you. Number three. The judgment clarified. The judgment clarified. In verses 9 through 13, Paul closes out this section by clarifying the sphere of this discipline. Paul wanted the church at Corinth to know that his discipline or this judgment, this discipline, was only for the church, not for the world. You understand a lost person is going to act like a lost person. Bless God, you got a lost person up there that, that drinks. That drunk's going to act like a drunk. What does he need? He needs Jesus Christ. 
And the only way that person's going to need get Jesus Christ is if he comes to church and is loved on and sees the love and fellowship of the brethren. Here's what uh, Corinth was doing. Corinth was saying, well, Paul didn't wrote us that letter. Told us we ain't supposed to have fellowship with anybody. So we ain't going to have fellowship with anybody. So they weren't, they weren't witnessing. They weren't sharing Christ with anybody. In fact, they were shunning people. They said, you're going to hell. You're going to hell. You're going to hell. And they weren't sharing the love of Jesus. And so he clarifies what he's talking about here in the text by simply saying this. I'm talking about judging in the church and not the world. God will judge the world. we got to judge one another. So notice what he says here. There's two things that I want to point out, and then I'm going to close. The first thing I want you to see is the sincerity of our personal walk with Christ. The sincerity of our personal walk with Christ. Notice what he says in verse number 9. He says, I wrote unto you in an epistle not to keep company with fornicators. We don't have that epistle. That epistle's lost. That is a lost letter to the church at Corinth. He says, watch verse 10. This, I love this. He says, but not altogether in verse 10. He says, not altogether in this world. He says, I'm not talking about ignoring the world. I'm not talking about not having fellowship with people in the world. What Paul is saying here is that lost people is going to act like lost people, but we ought not to act like lost people. We ought to act like Jesus. And we ought to be Jesus to a lost and dying world. So he's saying here in this response, live your life with sincerity and truth. Remember, the word sincere in the, in the Bible uh, is a word that they used when it was an economic word. There would be these individuals that would make pots and, and uh, <clears throat> they would sell these pots. And sometimes the pots would have cracks in them. And so what they would do is they would fill that crack with wax. And they had to advertise and tell people that it was not sincere. They used the word sincere. It is not a sincere pot. There's cracks in the pot, and we filled this pot with wax. So you might want to put grain in the pot, but don't put hot liquid. Because if you put hot liquid in the pot, it'll melt the wax, and then you'll have a leaky mess. So they used that word sincerity or sincere to talk about their pots. They would say, this pot is sincere. This pot is not sincere. And so what Paul is talking about here in the text, look at what he says there in the Word of God. He says that we ought to live in regards to this with sincerity and also with truth. He says that in verse number 8. With sincerity and truth. Partaking this of leaven bread. That is having our sins confessed to God, 1 John 1, 9. And being right with our fellow brothers and sisters. Tonight, when we come around the table to partake of the Lord's Supper, you'll have an opportunity to crawl up in the altar and get right with God. Would to God, upon reading this passage of Scripture and knowing that you might have uh, something against God or something against a brother and sister, maybe you're mad at God, maybe you're upset with God, but the fact of the matter is you're not right with God, that you'd just go ahead and get right with God and be in sincerity, if you will, with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So he's referring here to the church about not keeping company with carnal Christians in the church. That's what he's saying. They're not sincere. They say that they love God, but they leave the church and they go drink. They leave the church and they go just do their own thing. And they're ruining the testimony of Jesus Christ by acting like the world. They're carnal in their lives. He talks about the sincerity of our personal walk. But then number two, and I close, he talks about the seriousness of their corporate walk. The seriousness of their corporate walk. He says, listen, 
Not only do we need to be sincere in our walk with Jesus, but corporately as a church, we've got a testimony. You know what the testimony is about Maysville Baptist Church? You're one of the most loving churches around. You're a loving church. Man, you just love people. You want to see them restored. You want to see them uh, come to a, a place in their life where they know that they're saved. You want to see them uh, get right with God and get right with others. You want to see them grow up in Jesus Christ. That's your testimony here at Maysville. Thanks be unto God for the seriousness of our corporate worship here. Paul is saying in verse 12 and 13, Paul says here, that we're not just walking personally, but we're also walking publicly. And you and I have a responsibility within our community of believers to make sure that we're walking together in love and in grace and we're right with God. Look at what he says in verse 12. He says, For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? He goes on to say in the text, Do not ye judge them that are within? He says, You got this thing mixed up. You're judging the people that are outside the church. Don't you know lost people act like lost people? We ought to look at one another. We ought to look at one another and help one another. Have a closer walk with Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 13, But them that are without God judgeth. Those people that are outside the church, doesn't know Christ as Savior, God's going to judge them. That's why you've got a responsibility to get out there and share Christ with them. He says, therefore, because of that, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. That one that will not get right with God, let them go. Let them go out into this world. Let them go down the road of destruction. And if they're born again, if they're a saved child of God, they'll come back. If they're not, they'll die in their sin. And if they're just a carnal Christian, thanks be unto God, they'll be saved such as by fire. Now here's the question. Whatever happened to his brother? What happened to this brother? Did he get right with God? He did. Did you know that? It's found over in 2 Corinthians. Take your Bibles very quickly. I'm closing. I'm closing. We're about to go to Sunday school. Oh, it's going to be a good day. It's already been a good day. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You see where it says in verses 5 through 11? In this text right here, Paul is, he's writing again to the church at Corinth. And he's writing in the arena of forgiveness and comfort. He's responding to a brother that's not been named. And again, it, the Bible didn't name it in 1 Corinthians. It just said there's a brother in there that's he's done something crazy in regards to sexual immorality. And you've got to judge him. You've got to send him out. You've got to let him go. And he goes on to say here in this text, what do you do when that brother comes back? Obviously, this brother's come back and Paul has got a report that Corinth ain't loving him right. So look at what he says there uh, in this text. Look at verse 6. He says, Sufficient to say such a man is this punishment, which was inflicted of many. He said, Y'all did the right thing. Y'all sent him out into the world. So that contrarywise, you ought rather to forgive him. So now he's back in the church, and he says, Now that he came back home, he's getting right, getting right with God, he says you ought to forgive him, comfort him, lest perhaps such one should be swallowed up over much sorrow. He says, if you don't reach out to this brother, if you don't love him now that he's back in church and got right with God, he got rid of, the, got rid of this uh, stepmom he was uh, sexually involved with, so he's got right with God, he's got rid of all this. He says, if you don't love this brother, sorrow is going to set in. And watch this. Anytime sorrow sets in, it brings isolation. And when isolation sets in, 
destruction takes place. And what is destruction? You'll do something that you wouldn't normally do, like kill yourself, commit suicide. Verse 8. Wherefore I beseech you that you would comfort your love towards him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether you be obedient in all things. To whom you forgive anything, I forgive also. For if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it, for your sakes forgave I it to the person of Christ, lest Satan should get an advantage over us. For we are not ignorant of his devices. This whole thing revolves around the devil trying to get a foothold in the church. And Paul says, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not going to let it happen. So my point to you this morning here in regards to the Scripture is this. Keep your sins clean before God. Keep it clean before God and stay close to Jesus Christ. Because the Scripture says, in regards to judging a brother, we are to do so in the church. I know I'm out of time, but I had a situation happen many years ago in ministry. It came to my attention that a lady was running around on her husband. Brought me pictures, had pictures uh, of the car parked in front of the home. and He had had it pinged. She was inside the house. and The cell phone pinged. It was inside the house. and It was very obvious that she was having an affair on her husband. Um, she was very prominent in the church and uh, had a lot of positions in the church. Now, I could do one or two things. Watch this. I could ignore it, or I could be the pastor God's called me to be and deal with it. I chose to do what God said. I dealt with it. I went to the lady. I confronted her with her husband. She admitted it, said, yes, I'm having a affair on my husband, and... Uh, I told her this, I said, from this, from this point forward, you can't do anything in the church. You can't sing in the choir, you can't play the piano, you can't uh, 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 help in our children's department, you can't keep the nursery. The only thing you can do is you can go to Sunday school and you can sit in worship. Those are the two things you can do. Well, she blowed up like a big old blowfish. I mean, oh, my stars. Stormed out of the church. I went home. It's only a matter of a couple hours, my phone rang. I picked up the phone. Listen to this. It was her lover down in uh, South Alabama. This is the only time in my ministry that my life's been threatened. He told me I had ruined his love life. And he told me he was going to get in the car, and he was going to drive up from South Alabama, and he was going to whip me so bad I'd be unrecognizable. Well, I just told him, I said, well, brother, number one, first of all, I didn't ruin your love life. You ruined a family. And I said, number two, you get on in your car, and you come on up, and I gave him my address, and I said, you meet me in my front yard, and we'll see who's going to whip who. So did you say that? I did. <laughs> so what would you do? Well, I hung the phone up, and I called another church member who was a part of the GBI. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you know that guy never showed up? It's the craziest thing. But let me tell you what happened. Here's the end of that story. We did exactly what this passage of Scripture said. Put them out. Did you know within a matter of four weeks, that sister came back to the church, fell into the altar, weeping, weeping, asking God to forgive her. Weeping, asking 
her husband to forgive her. She came back to Jesus. She came back to her husband. And over a period of time, took about a year, two years, three years, somewhere around in there, over a period of time, she was restored back. And today, she's actively healthy in the church. They have one of the strongest marriages in the church, and they're able to counsel young couples that are struggling with these same issues. Well, I'm going to tell you what. The Scripture's true. If we just obey it, God can do a work. Let's bow for prayer. You may be here today, and maybe you're not saved. You don't know Jesus as Savior. Then why not today give your heart and life to Christ? Why don't you turn over, not just a new leaf, but turn over your whole life to Jesus? So how might I do that, Pastor? The Bible says, If you'll confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you want to be saved today, if you want to know you're going to heaven when you die, if you want to trust Christ as Savior, quit walking in your sin and start trusting in the Savior, then from right where you're sitting, from your heart to God's heart, why don't you say something like this to the Lord? Right where you're sitting. Say, Lord Jesus. That's right, just call out to God. Say, Lord Jesus. I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. And this morning I ask you to save me. I repent of my sin. And I trust you as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name.